0: Agent Power Huddle is a daily jumpstart, giving you all the tools you need to create an amazing real estate career. Led by top experts in the field, you'll learn how to sell more houses in less time while creating the life you want. Welcome to the Agent Power Huddle.
1: We are doing something very scientific today. Jeff, you are dressed for the part. We are doing the science of investing, so Melanie, we have a we have a we have a co-host here, Melanie, along with me. She's going to introduce Jeff because I actually have only met Jeff through Melanie. And yeah. uh, when I saw the topic, <laughs> Melanie, when I saw the topic, I said the science of investing. Said, tell me, tell me about Jeff. What, what? And then we'll let Jeff tell him about himself. But tell me about Jeff. How do you know Jeff?
0: So Jeff and I got our license around the same time. Um, so in the beginning, we were at the same brokerage, and we learned the industry together. Pretty much, we did all the same classes in the beginning and whatnot. Um, and then, so I was lucky enough to just have him along for the ride in the beginning. Um, so we, we are now in different, different brokerages, but I still have like watched his success and, it started getting really intriguing to me. I was watching him do these investments and he had these goals written down and he was putting these numbers down and how he was doing it. And I was like, what's this boy doing over here? I want to do this. (laughs) So I was like reading it and reading it, reading it. I just kept on telling him how much I found it fascinating, how much it was helping me. And if, uh, even if it wasn't for my own real estate, you know, I would have a client eventually that probably would want to start rentals and investing and whatever, and just having his numbers and his knowledge was really helpful. And then this last December, because of him and because of his um, expertise in the topic, I mean, just watching everything today, I actually got my first investment property based off of his stuff.
1: Jeff, so. you inspired her to get her first property. <laughs> I love it. I will. Right, well, Jeff, welcome. Welcome to the show, Melanie. I'm going to let you kind of run this. I'll be, I'll be your co-pilot here, but you, I know you've got a series of questions for Jeff and Jeff. Thank you for being here.
2: Absolutely. Thank, thank you for having me. Appreciate it.
1: <laughs> Melanie, where, where do you, so are we talking about the science of investing in terms of how, um, agents buy properties for themselves to like develop their own or is this talking about working with investors where are we going today
0: okay so he does both so for today i thought maybe we would help with just the agents itself and how it worked for us he did it and in a non-traditional way so i'll let him tell you kind of how he started and where he's at and how many he has and where his goals are and how he's achieving his goals but so mine was my route was not the same as his, but I took pieces of his. Well, let's,
1: so. well, let's well, hear your, your route, Jeff. Where, where did you start, man? Yep.
2: Well, um, actually I, I, uh, started as an agent in 2016. I actually do it, uh, part-time I have a, another W2 job. So actually I say I have two full-time jobs, um, but uh, yeah, I started out on getting my license in 2016, mainly for the fact that I wanted to buy my own rental properties, uh, create the cash flow. Uh, I'm big into the Bigger Pockets community, so if anyone is uh, a fan of Bigger Pockets, you'll see a lot of similarities between what I'm going to talk about today, and uh, and what they kind of uh, advocate. So um, I want to kind of stick with my analysis tools, some little tips and tricks. I know as agents, we're all aware of of uh, the home buying process what to basically look for in a home but a lot of people don't think about the calculations that come into play when you buy a house and i'm going to focus on residential small um residential multifamily, one through four units this isn't you know when we say investing i'm not going to go and talk about stock markets we're not going to go into crypto uh, the bread and butter uh, that I like to to focus on is just small multifamily properties because that's uh, it's more accessible to to everybody. It's everyone can, you know, there, there's single family homes that you can buy and, and rent out. And so I, I kind of keep things simple. And um, at this current time, I've got 10 units. Uh, that's comprised of six properties, one four unit, a duplex, and then some some singles. So uh, that's kind of the bread and butter. And I just kind of want to go through uh, how I analyze these properties in order to make decisions. Yes,
1: please. And will you frame up what market you're in also? Because I know this is this it works in any market, but because of the price points, there are certain markets that it works better in. What, what market are you in?
2: Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm over towards Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, I'm actually just east of there in East Lake, Ohio, Lake County. It's where I focus. And I know that we've got agents from all over the country. And so the Midwest is definitely different than, you know, the West coast at this very point. So a lot of the things that I'm going to talk about, uh they, they'll give you a good idea, but they might not specifically apply to, you know, higher price points. Let's just say But that. they
1: could apply. I mean, we have, I have a buddy who's in Southern California who does his investing in Ohio where his parents are from because for this strategy, it makes more sense. So whatever you're going to listen to guys, like this applies no matter where you are, if you're looking to build some sort of long-term investment. So I'm grateful you're here, Jeff.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. And this could apply for helping investors or buying yourself. I think as agents, we have a great opportunity in order to, to invest ourselves. So th- this will definitely this will definitely help out. So, I've got a PowerPoint presentation here. Actually, it was designed uh, as I gave a class at my brokerage, Keller Williams Greater Cleveland Northeast. Um I, I brought it down to fit the time allotment that we had here. So, if we want, we can go ahead and get started. Uh, I will share my screen and uh we will get into the PowerPoint. Can you guys see what I'm seeing?
1: We do not see it yet. Nope. Okay. But we could talk about the model sailboat behind you, which is pretty cool in the meantime. No, I'm kidding. You've, <laughs> you while, while, while he's doing this, Melanie, have you seen Oh, here we go. Now it's, now it's working. All right. I was just going to stall for you, but you're good. I, it's coming up on the screen now. All right. I got it. Residential real estate investing for realtors.
2: Absolutely. So we'll go ahead and get started here. Okay. So a little bit about the scope, a couple of things we're gonna talk about, cash flow analysis, projections, uh, why I advocate for leverage, a little bit of um, techniques when it comes to buying, where you can space your closing in the month in order to fully utilize the prorations of rent and whatnot. So, this is just a disclaimer slide saying I'm not a, an accountant or a CPA. And an important thing about why we want to buy rental property, and, and a big thing that's going on right now with the country, with all the, the the cash that's being infused by the government in the form of stimulus, is the the inflation that is coming down the pipe. It's been historically around two three percent. We all know that's rising. We've seen the prices escalate for everything in the country due to supply chain issues, and and um, so when we're allowed to buy properties using bank debt when they're going to lend us at three percent and the inflation might be five percent and lock that in for 30 years it's the best way in order in order to borrow and in my opinion it's the best investment that we can make by borrowing the bank's money and actually making money on the debt that we have so cash and and debt has kind of the roles have reversed they've It used to be the cash is king. You want to have cash and debt was a liability. But now if you get long-term fixed rate debt, it's actually an asset because you're making money in buying power on the money you're borrowing. So that's just a quick point I wanted to make as to why I believe this is a good investment vehicle. The four main benefits of residential real estate, a lot of people know You know, we're going to cash flow. Appreciation, if you buy a house for 100,000, we all know last year, the market's all soared. And um, so the appreciation has definitely been a factor as of late. Tax benefits, we'll talk a little bit about that and principal pay down is one other major factor. As you're borrowing and that your residents are paying down your principal, that's an extra factor when it comes to your analysis. So cash flow. The main thing I want to take away from today is uh, just kind of throwing this out there. A lot of people think when you have a mortgage of $1,000 and your rent is $1,500, you're making $500. It's a good trap to fall into when you're analyzing a property because you know that's n- never the case. You always have expenses that come in come in when you actually have the property. The real world is that there are expenses and we can calculate for these expenses to the best of our ability, knowing certain factors. So this one slide, the little grid here, is what I use in order to calculate the projections for when I'm looking at, say, a single family home, for example. You can't think it's gonna be full all the time. You're never gonna have anything break. Uh, You're never, you know, you're not gonna, you're gonna manage it yourself. Even though I do manage my own properties, I account for property management, because if you don't, you're just buying yourself a job down the line. If you end up with 20 properties, and you wanted to replace your job with rental properties, you're just diverting yourself from one job to another. So I always account for that. And even though I do it myself now, down the line, switching over to property management will make it more passive. And then you've got utilities and your lawn upkeep. So I use 5% vacancy factor for, for vacancy. You know, you're gonna have turnover. And these, these percentages are based on the rent. So say the rent is $1,000. 5%, I get a lot, $50 a month for vacancy. And that goes into a reserve account. So for capital expenditures, you always have to think about things like a roof, a furnace are going to need to be changed when they get to the end of service life. So I always project in a 5% to 10% factor for that as well. Maintenance and repairs, there's always going to be some issue, something's going to break that you could, couldn't could factor in. So I also a lot for that property management here it's 8 to 10% for property management i know in the different parts of the country it's it might be a little higher or lower but i also put that in there and then utilities depending on if you have a single family which over here if you have a single family it's much easier to have the resident pay for those bills but if you have say a duplex a triplex or a quad and those utilities aren't split where they are separately metered you really have to take that into account because those costs are real. If you, if you have to pay the sewer and the water for a four unit building, you could think you're gonna be going in to make money, but really at the end of the day, you're just losing money every month. So, and along those same lines, the lawn and the snow, those are also two things that in a single family here in Cleveland, we can have the lease say that the resident is responsible for the lawn or the snow, but say you have a multifamily that shares one driveway, well, you're going to be paying uh, a seasonal or per push uh, to get rid of that snow. And I know, you know, in southern climates, you don't have to worry about those things. But in other areas of the country, there's different considerations when it comes to environmental that you have to think about, and you want to calculate that into your cash flow numbers. So that's uh, that's a big one that I wanted to speak of. Just as a quick example, this is a duplex that I purchased back in 2018. And on the right side, you can see all the numbers that I projected out for cash flow. So this is a nice side-by-side brick duplex. And it happens to be that the utilities are all split. In this case, you can see that the rent for both sides is twenty-one You've got my payment at 1375 And you go into allocating for your capital expenditures, your maintenance, your vacancy, your property management. And at the end of the day, the cash flow is not 800 some dollars, it's really about 200. And I, I, you can see in my example there, it's 215. So it's a lot less than you would think. If I, if the purchase price was much higher, this might be a negative cash flowing property. I, I wouldn't have, have purchased it. And so, and, and this one, I happen to do an FHA loan and live in one side. So I house hacked this one, which is a term that a lot of people are starting to recognize nowadays. I actually bought this down FHA loan, moved into one side for a year. And that allowed me to put up a lot less cash in in the beginning. And actually we'll talk about house tacking a little bit later. Here's another example that I'm not gonna go through. So this is just a quick and dirty uh, example of a a tool that I use when I'm trying to analyze properties on the fly. The 1% rule, this is something that i use so say a, a property is a hundred thousand dollars and um it must rent for a thousand dollars that's a this is very rough and dirty tool that i use when looking at something at a glance uh, because if a property is is not going to rent for even close to one percent of the purchase price i know it's most likely not going to be a good deal and this varies all over the, the board but when it comes to taxes and insurance but over here in the midwest in the Cleveland market, this is what I use to just just look at something very quickly and pass on something if I know it's not going to be worth it. And in that same regard, at the bottom, I talk about rent compression. A seven hundred thousand dollar home out here is not probably not going to rent for seven thousand dollars, whereas a hundred thousand dollar home most likely would rent for a thousand. So there's kind of a rent compression when you go up in your purchase price. So the, the bread and butter around here is around one hundred and fifty. Anything over two hundred thousand dollars here in, in our market. It's generally not going to rent for 1% of, the, of um, the purchase price. So when it comes to rentals, I, I kind of use that as a ballpark and, and analyze everything below 150, 200. One quick thing that we all know as agents is that the taxes right now are based on the previous valuation. With this escalation in our, in our markets, where the prices have been run way up, a lot of times, the tax value is based on a on a, a value from the previous purchase, which might be way way less than what you're purchasing it for. So, this is just a quick slide, uh, not for agents per se, because I know we we mostly know this, but always want to calculate your taxes based on the assessed value post purchase. That way, you don't have a reassessment in a year after you buy it, and your taxes go way up and your cash flow negative. I'm going to skip. Through a few of these slides because, as as agents, um, a a lot of these things are are kind of a a given when it comes to pros and cons of single versus multi. And I want to make sure to get through this PowerPoint. There's some tips at the end that I feel are more important than some of these earlier slides. Utility splits, I spoke about this earlier. If uh, the duplex that I showed earlier was a side by side designed as a duplex, most likely utilities are going to be split on those, but saying up and down that more likely could have been an original single family home that was split later on. And it's a lot harder to get all the utilities, the, the HVAC, the electrical onto two separate meters. So um, that's what I look for is kind of a purpose built and already split lawn snow. I spoke about this already. I also try to avoid septic and well water because say I'm buying a fa- single family home here and we've got a sewer and a water bill and it's public, that's something I can pass on to the tenant in the lease. But if you have a, a well and a septic, you're not passing on any cost to uh, um, a resident there. You're gonna be doing all the repairs yourself. And so that's that's one of the considerations that I have when, when looking. I prefer to buy properties that are 1980 and newer. I, I intend to buy and hold. That's my model. So, I want to keep these things for a long time and I want less capital expenditures down the road. So, things like roofs, electrical, plumbing, foundation, windows, and doors. These are things that I focus on when I go to look at a property to see how much it's going to cost me in the next few years to repair things that I might be able to purchase a little bit nicer of a home, a little bit higher price, but has a new roof, new furnace, new windows. And it makes sense when we're leveraging and the bank is giving us 20% of the home or we're paying 20%, the bank is giving us 80. Makes sense to pay that extra 20% for a little bit higher of a purchase price when you have things that are not gonna cost you money in the next five, 10, 15 years. A little bit of financing buying techniques now that we're gonna go into. Uh, I I tend like, like I just said, I tend to kind of buy turnkey versus rehab. If you go in and buy a rehab, we all know you can create sweat equity, but how are you going to tap into that after you have fixed it up? Well, you have to either refinance or take out a a home equity line of credit or something to that nature. When you buy something that's already ready to go, like I said, you might be paying 20 grand more for a house, but if you're only paying four or five grand cash, and the bank is putting that other money up and you're borrowing at 3%, it makes sense to me to go ahead and buy turnkey. And that's what I do in order to increase the velocity of my money and my down payments. One strategy a lot of people use is the Burr method. And if you're on bigger pockets, you hear this all the time. It's where folks will go in, buy, rehab a property, rent it out, and then they can refinance and pull most of their equity out. The value will be higher after you renovate so if you can get a loan to pull all those funds back out at a higher valuation, you can actually recycle your money and keep gaining properties. That's one way people will go in and take a limited amount. If you don't have endless funds, you can go in and every six months, if you can work it right and uh, do the correct renovations that add the right amount of value, you can actually pull your money back out and do it again. So this is one thing that, uh, that I've actually employed on a on, um, couple of my single families that have allowed me to keep purchasing more. House hacking, um, we all pretty much know what this is. You can either do the traditional house hack where you buy a two to four unit property and live in one unit and rent out the others. People do it by the room. People do it with um, in-law suites and whatnot. This is just, um, it's becoming a, a more common trend lately um, as things are becoming more expensive. So this is one thing that I actually implored twice. I did it on this duplex I showed you earlier. I then refinanced out into a conventional with that duplex. And I just bought a four unit property with an FHA loan. Again, a lot of people think you can use FHA one time. Well, it's not true. You can use it more than once, but you can only have one at a time. So if you are able to buy a property with FHA, it appreciates you refinance the conventional, you can use it again. And that's exactly what I've done in order to uh, scale quickly.
0: Don't you think that's the most common in our area right now?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say for sure.
0: I um, would say it's the most common. I would think any, any of our clients or my recent clients or whatever, they are taking the properties, planning to live in them for the one year remodeling them during that year, and then taking the money and going on to a next one. That's what's happening in our market right now. I think it's the the biggest trend that's happening right now. This is why I find this stuff so interesting, because this is why people are buying the houses around here. And Cleveland is one of the spots that you can still get houses for under $150,000 and make money off of it. So it's very, very popular in our area.
2: Yeah, and... This is great for people that we are working with, but also for ourselves, if you have the ability to move to some another place for one year and sacrifice for one year, if you can buy a nice four unit property for 3.5% down, you're an agent, you can actually roll in a, a commission, say 3%, if you have them pay some closing costs. I actually, the, the four unit property that I just bought, I, I worked it out where it was a $280,000 purchase price. I paid myself a commission. I had them pay five grand in closing costs. And at the end of the day, when I got proration for the rent back, I came out of pocket, maybe two grand for an almost $300,000 property. And living there for one year, it's, it's definitely worth it. And you can move out after the year. Um, I advocate for agents to do that all the time. I think it's the best bang for your buck, as long as you can sacrifice for the one year it takes. And a lot of people aren't willing to do that, but you can find very nice multifamily properties that aren't, you're not, you know, hearing the neighbors dance upstairs. So it, there, it's definitely possible for people. One thing I just mentioned was escalating the purchase price a little bit, rolling in closing costs, good way to keep cash in your pocket and roll that into a loan at 3% interest. I do that all the time on everything that I buy. Quick slide on 15 versus 30 year loans. I always advocate for 30. I know uh, you, you've got a lot of different opinions on this, but if you get a 30 year loan, You can always pay a little bit more, but when you're uh, trying to buy rental properties at scale, you want your debt to income ratio to be as low as possible in order to qualify for more loans. So having a 30 year loan, it'll give you the lowest payment. And you can, like I said, you can always pay more, but I always advocate for the 30 year, it's locked in 3%. You can't get any better investment vehicle right now than that. The next two slides are the, really the two that I wanted to hit home on these are the best little tips and tricks that I've found in the real world when I'm buying that I never heard before. But, um, so contract timeline considerations, where do you want to buy your property at? If you're buying a, a rental property, I always advocate buying just after the first of the month. And here's the reason behind that on the first of the month, generally, uh, the, the seller is going to be collecting the rent. So if you close in the third or the fifth day, you actually get that as a credit, the prorated rent from the remainder of the month as a credit at closing. And when you're getting a loan, we all know you skip a month. So the next month, you don't have a payment in, until the month thereafter, but you're getting the prorated rent plus the 10, if you have tenants in place, you're actually getting the rent the next month when you're not having a payment. So this can reduce the amount of capital that you need uh, out of pocket in the first couple months substantially. So I always advocate going just after the first of the month. So the seller has to collect prorate it to you. If it's a single family and it's vacant, it gives you an extra month to actually get a tenant in the property and start paying versus having it sit there. Do you close at the end of the month? You've only got 32 days to make a payment. But if you close at the beginning, you might have 60 days to get a renter or collect rent before you have a payment due. So that's one big tip that I wanted to give, give away today that, that I use. And then the second thing This is debatable, but do you pay yourself a commission or not when you're buying your own property? It's one thing that I have thought about. And if you do the math, you might think that, oh, I'll I'll save money and my payment will be a little bit less. But if we're borrowing at a fixed rate, again, 3% interest, it makes sense to actually pay yourself, take the tax hit, get the cash now. And if you invest those funds that you earn on a commission, over 30 years, at the end of the day, if you look at the math, um, it, it it blows it out of the water. Uh, I've got two scenarios here on the screen that show if you escalate, you know, and pay yourself a three percent commission and invest those funds for 30 years, at the end of the day, you're going to end up way ahead. So I always, even when I buy when I bought my single family home for myself, I always escalated up and pay myself a commission versus taking a little bit less of a purchase price. Uh, the difference in payment doesn't matter much, but if you can save cash, save that money for your next down payment. Everything that I advocate for is for gaining cash quickly, buying more, uh, by, by saving your money and having more for more down payments and buying more properties. I started out with very little money and um, all these things are are little tips and tricks that can help you save uh, save cash in order to just keep scaling and buying more and get the snowball rolling. And one last thing, I know we're uh, coming coming down here in our time slot, but uh, one thing that people don't think about, and this is geared specifically towards us as agents, we have a, a special perk when it comes to buying rental properties and investing, is that we get to claim real estate professional status. Now, what this means is that if you are a real estate professional and you're doing it uh, at least 750 hours, and, and more than any other business, if you have a say, you have a W two job where you work 40 hours a week but you're an agent part-time, this, you would not qualify, but as a full-time real estate agent or anyone in the profession, we're actually able to deduct losses against our active income. And uh, this is, this is huge when it comes to taxes. If you're not able to deduct your losses, then you're, you're basically just throwing money down the drain, but we're able to deduct our losses depreciation on properties off of our active income. And a big one that people don't realize is that your spouse can, can, can contribute to this. So if you're a real estate professional, your husband or wife is a doctor and they're making you know five, six $600,000, a lot more, you can actually deduct those off of their active income if need be. So I, I don't wanna get too into the weeds on this, but it's something for you to ask your CPA about if you are an agent full-time and in investing. It's a, it's a great perk for, for us as agents. Oh, and one last tip here that I'm going to say, uh, this is in regards to when you buy a property. And as far as tax write offs, if you the IRS considers um, a new property, once it's readily readily available, you can deduct all your expenses off of that. So if you're going to go into a property and do some light rehab to get it ready to rent, advertise it right away. And then everything after that very point, you can actually deduct from your taxes. But if you're in, in a get ready situation for a rental and you don't advertise it, all of those rehab things that you're doing in the beginning actually get added to your cost basis and depreciate over 27 and a half years. So if you're able to go in and actually advertise, then do your, your repairs and you're able to show it beforehand, you can actually take those rehab items and your little repairs and deduct those off of your, your loss for the in year one. So that allows you to move the scale forward for your deductions. And I think we're getting close to the end. I don't want to just keep rattling off here, but I want to go into some questions. I've got I've got some other podcasts that I advocate for when it comes to rental properties listed here. Um, you can see a bigger pockets is a big one, um, but I, I want to save a couple of things for Jesse and Melanie. We can go into a quick Q&A or discussion and uh, and and that'll be it. Or if there's any other questions about things that I, I spoke about in Fastly in my PowerPoint. <laughs>
1: It was great. I'm sorry, Melanie, I was letting you kind of oh, go, sorry. For go for it. Go for it,
0: Melanie. <laughs> I'm like, oh sorry. I would just, yes. I mean, I know it all went really fast, but I did take, you know, all of the numbers and being in front of your face and doing it, what's happening in our market right now. This is one of the biggest things that's happening here in Cleveland, Ohio. And I just, it's just um, fantastic to have somebody to ask the questions, to go to have this knowledge. And I just thought it, it's just, uh, he does a great way. He just throws it out there. He lets you know all of his business. He lets you know what you're making, what yeah. he paid, whatever. And so that you can see if it works for you or
1: it's, not. It's, it's absolutely the science of investing, Jeff. I like your approach. It's very straightforward. I could tell you've assimilated information from a lot of different sources and made it into your own style over the years of doing this. Um, we don't really have time for Q&A today because we have all of one minute. So if you have burning questions, please, uh, we're going to post this recording into the Agent Power Huddle Facebook group. It will be on all podcast platforms, but we'll tag Jeff in that, in that post. You can send a direct message to Jeff just gave you a cell number on the screen, hit him up. I'm sure he's happy to chat. Or we'll just do some commentary if you're if you know you have a question that someone else can benefit from, ask it in the post. That way we can kind of engage back and forth and continue doing this discussion. I mean, truly, Jeff, if agents aren't investing themselves, they're really missing the boat. I, I, missing a big, out,
0: yes. Yeah. I mean, look at all the great opportunities and the extra stuff he showed us today that what we are able to do as agents to make it benefit us even more. We got to invest in ourselves. Yeah, no, th- this is... This was awesome. So Jeff,
1: we'll have you back on again, if you're open to it, to do a Q and a, maybe what we'll do is we do another show called uh, ask me anything. So we can do ask a real estate investor expert, anything, where it's literally just 30 minutes of Q and a people can ask you any sort of questions. We can go deeper. Um, I think that might be a good thing to do.
2: Yeah, that sounds great. And if anyone wants my full expanded PowerPoint with a lot of little nitty gritty details, I can send that to you uh, via email. You can reach out to me. Uh, my email will be included, but Jeff Brower, J-E-F-F-B-R-O-W-E-R at kw.com. Be happy to share or talk real estate rentals with uh, with anybody that wants.
1: I love it. I love it, love it, love it. Tomorrow, guys, we got our, our show is Making Your 2022 Vision a Reality. Making Your twenty two Vision a Reality. So including that reality, Jeff will be probably people buying investment properties. Now we're buying more investment properties. And uh, we will see you guys tomorrow morning. Thank you, Melanie, for introducing us to Jeff. That's awesome.
0: Thank you. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you. Hope it was helpful.
1: Yeah, we'll drop the email in the chat right here. Karen's asking for the email. uh, If you can drop the email in the chat box, Jeff.
2: Yep, Absolutely. I went fast. Thank you, everyone.